The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. To turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Exodus 15. Exodus 15, and I'm going to be reading uh, verses 22 through to uh, 27. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log or a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. And they came to Elam, where, they were, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This is God's word to us this morning. Fathers, we open up your word now. Uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would indeed be our teacher, that we would have receptive hearts, uh, ears, minds to hear and process what it is you would say to us today. And then help us, Lord, put it into practice in our own lives. Father, help us not go away from this place unchanged. Uh, For your glory we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, throughout the Bible uh, we see that God reveals uh, himself, his character and his, uh, his attributes often through his names. Those names that he refers to himself as through the scripture. And over the past few weeks in this particular preaching series, that's what we've been focusing on. It's a series, Hallowed Be Your Name, the name of God. And we've seen that God has revealed himself in a number of different names. Uh, Mark, a few weeks ago, began the series with Jehovah Sabaoth, which means Lord of hosts, that God is indeed the commander of angelic armies, that he's the powerful and mighty God who accomplishes all that he sets out to. We've seen him referred to as Jehovah Nissi, God our banner the one who gives victory to us in our battles, especially in that battle over sin. And last week, we saw that God is Jehovah Roy, God our shepherd who cares for his sheep. Of course, in these names, there is, if you like, a progressive revelation of God, a progressive unfolding of of the character and the attributes of God, showing that he is indeed the God who meets every need of his people. And today we're going to be focusing on God, as I said, Jehovah Rophi, God, our healer. If you're looking for uh, the big idea this morning, kids, if you're looking to draw pictures or you want to write that down, if you're making notes uh, today, here is the big idea. There is no one who offers us healing like the kind God gives. Okay, there is no one that offers us healing like the kind God gives. God first reveals himself to his people as Jehovah Rophi here in this passage in Exodus 15, verses 22 to 27. 
We know from the, uh, you know, from the reading prior to that that, uh, that God has just rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. They've been under the oppression of the Egyptians for some 400 years. And God you know, has promised that he will bring his people out of there and he sent Moses to, uh, to lead his people out of Egypt. He sent Moses to act on his behalf before Pharaoh and Pharaoh continually refuses. So God acts in incredible, powerful ways, bringing 10 plagues on the land, showing the, the power of, of God and his intention indeed to have his way. And then, of course, when he finally brings the people out, the last plague, the plague of, of the death of the firstborn, uh, God brings the people of Egypt out, uh, brings the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he brings them to this, the, uh, the shores of the Red Sea, and it is there where the Egyptian army is bearing down on them, the, the sea in front of them, that God, in another incredibly powerful way, opens up the waters for his people to pass over on dry ground. And, uh, of course, as the Egyptian army pursue them, the waters all come back on top of them, completely obliterating the, uh, the threat. And the people of God are just, in, they're just so overwhelmed with praise and adoration of God that God would save them so powerfully and so wonderfully in this way. You imagine the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the songs of praise. We've got a, a record of, of Moses' song of praise there in Exodus, at the beginning of Exodus 15. But the people, as they rejoice together, in seeing this incredible act of God on their behalf in order to save them. And they can only see that God certainly loves them and God is, is going before him. And what a wonderful God to have on your side. Amen? Yes, amen. What a wonderful God to have on your side. It's interesting that immediately following this, that God then leads his people into the wilderness where he is going to test them. He leads them into the wilderness where they're going to be faced with a very significant challenge. Now, as I'm reflecting on that, because, you know, it can be easy, can't it, to, to praise God in the good times, to praise God and worship Him in those times where we see God wonderfully at work and, and God powerfully at work, particularly in our own lives or in the lives of those we may have been praying for. It can be easy to praise God at those times, but it's interesting that, that God, particularly here in, the, in the, the nation of Israel's experience, and I think in our experience as well, or I know in our experience as well, that God wants to test the true genuineness of our love and obedience towards him. And he does that with the people by leading them into the wilderness, by leading them into this place where they are going to uh, endure this crucible of suffering, if you like. They journey three days into the wilderness and their situation is starting to become incredibly desperate because they don't have any water. Now, they say that, uh, that a person can go without water for about three days, but that's a pretty much the limit. That's it for a human being. At the, come the end of that, we, we peel over and die. So these people are right at the limit of, of death, if you like. What on earth could be going on? Why would God want to lead them here into this place? Gone without water for three days. And if they don't get water very, very soon, they know they will perish there in the deserts. And the question that, that kind of hovers, if you like, over that situation is, will the people trust God who has brought them that far? Will the people trust God who has brought them this far? And then suddenly they see it there, just on the horizon. There's no, no, this time it's not a mirage, it's real. 
there's a water hole, and you can imagine the people all of a sudden seeing that water hole, and they start to, you know, they start to not just jog, but they start to sprint and run towards the edge. And you can see, you can imagine in your minds the people all gathering around that water hole and and getting, you know, falling down on their knees and starting to to cup the water up to their mouths and start to drink that water, you know, expecting or anticipating the the cool, refreshing, thirst quenching water that it is, the the desperate water that they've been that they've been longing for only to taste it and then spit it straight out of their mouths because it is bitter, it is brackish, it is undrinkable. It's undrinkable. The people's hopes are dashed in an instant. Can you imagine to have something so desperately what you, you know, what you're yearning for, to have it right there in your grass, so to speak, but then to, be, to have the ground or the rug pulled completely right out from underneath you? We see in this passage that the people begin to take their frustrations out on Moses, who has led them there. Where they say, Moses, what on earth now are we going to drink? We're all going to perish here in this wilderness. What are we going to drink, Moses? And Moses doesn't have an answer. And Moses goes straight to God. Moses cries out to the Lord. Lord, save me, save your people. Save us. And God shows Moses uh, in uh, the, the uh, Bible here, in, your, in the ESV, it's got log. With it, uh, if you look down your footnotes there, it actually says the word tree. And I think that's the better actual uh, translation there. God shows Moses a tree and, and, and tells him to throw it into the water. And as he does, it makes the water sweet. It becomes drinkable again. The writer goes on to tell us that it was here at Mara, which means bitter, that God made a statute and a rule for the people having tested them that says, if they will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord their God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, then he will put none of the diseases that he put on the Egyptians. For he is the Lord your healer. He is Jehovah Rapha. Now, as we read a passage like this, you can think, well, surely that's just a promise of God to to the people of Israel in his day to be the healer of his people there. But folks, it's not just for the people of Israel back here in the time of Exodus. The Apostle Paul tells us, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, and, he, and in the verses prior to that, he speaks about the, you know, the, the God's rescue of his people through Moses from Egypt. And he writes these words, he says, Now these things, speaking of, of the, you know, events such as these, these things happened to them, the people of Israel, as an example, and they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. In other words, Paul is saying that this stuff that that took place is also for our own instruction, that we ourselves, these promises of God, this revelation of God, is for his people today, just as it was back then. You know, now when it comes to, to the subject of God as our healer, Christians, of course, have over the years differed very much in their views of how God's healing manifests itself in our lives. In fact, some view God's healing to be predominantly related to the spiritual. In fact, they would see it primarily related to the spiritual. Or, In fact, even some would go so far as to say it's only related to the spiritual. 
that as God's healing is centered more on rescuing us from the eternal consequences of our sin, as well as focusing on the assurance that we have that we will be fully restored and healed when we finally get to heaven. There are others, though, who would advocate that God's desire is to to heal us in the here and now, physically as well as spiritually. They would say that when it comes to healing, a person needs to, to believe in faith that God wants to heal them and then claim God's promise for healing for themselves there and then. we've seen this sort of uh, teaching abuse where some have sort of said then if a person is not healed, then it's because they have not shown enough faith. And that is something which you'll never hear from these people. And that's sad because that, for me, in, my, in, my, in my view, that is a form of spiritual abuse. And it's heretical. The fact is, though, that God has not promised to heal all our sicknesses and diseases in the here and now. If this were the case, then surely God would have healed the Apostle Paul when he prayed to to God three times to remove his thorn in the flesh. Remember in uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul prays, God, please remove this this thorn in my flesh from me. But instead God replies to Paul that his grace would be sufficient for him and that his weakness... And his struggling, his suffering, if you like, would be a means through which God would display his power in his life. Now, if God was about providing healing for his people in the immediate, then why would we then have passages recorded recorded for us in Scripture speaking about having to endure and persevere in hardship and trial and suffering? Passages like, for instance, James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, where it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In this verse, we see that God often uses you know, um, uh, hardship and trial and suffering and, and illness and things in our lives in order to grow us in our faith, to produce steadfastness, and to, that we might indeed grow up to maturity in our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul reiterates that in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 4, where he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We see that God indeed intends for these sorts of things in our lives, these, these bitternesses, if you like, in our lives, he allows them for a purpose. And that purpose ultimately is that he might bring glory to himself in the midst of it and that we might indeed be grown up to maturity in our faith and trust in Jesus. So when it comes to this, uh, to to. to to looking at God as healer. The first thing we understand is, is this, is that when the Bible speaks about healing, it is not restricted just to the healing of sicknesses and diseases. In fact, that Hebrew word rofi, or the, uh, another way of putting it is rafa, it's, it, it's, it's actually translated healer or heals. And it can also mean to restore something to its, to its proper purpose to its natural purpose. It can mean to repair something. In fact, it's used of, of when um, Elijah repaired the altar there on Mount Carmel. 
It can be used to uh, speak of, of make some, making something whole. It's used in the Bible not only to refer to physical healing, but spiritual healing, of healing the land, of rebuilding, as I said, rebuilding an altar, making bitter water sweet. So God's healing, therefore, has got a, is very multifaceted in its application. God heals in lots of different ways, and he, and he heals through various means. Here in the case of the Israelites in Exodus 15, God reveals himself as their healer by fixing the dire situation that they find themselves in. That is, they're without water, and the water that they finally come across is too bitter to drink. And we see that in response to Moses' prayer, and I believe that's what happens here, Moses crying out to God is indeed Moses' prayer to God. It is in response to Moses' prayer that God shows him how the water can indeed be changed from bitter to sweet by throwing this particular tree into the water. And of course, like he did with Israel, God's healing is often revealed to us by helping us in our bitter circumstances. And in response to our own prayers or in response to the prayers of others who pray for us on our behalf, sometimes God graciously acts to change those circumstances, doesn't he? God sometimes acts to change the circumstances. He provides the means by which those difficulties can be relieved or altered. As I said, in this instance, God shows Moses a tree. I'm sure if we think about it, we can all look back on times of of hardship and trial in our lives and testify to the fact that they did not last indefinitely, that God indeed changed our circumstances. As we prayed and we asked God to act, he did. We saw that our circumstances indeed at times get better. And in fact, sometimes they were changed in ways that we even least expected. God sometimes, you know, amazingly worked and brought about a change in our circumstances. Sometimes, some of you may even know that God has even healed you physically from sufferings in your life. Praise Him for that. But sometimes our circumstances don't change. And in fact, sometimes our circumstances can even get worse. What then? Is God still our healer? Yes, He is. God is indeed still our healer. You know, instead of sort of seeing our, our, uh, our trials and our hardships as something to be avoided and shunned, God often enables us to see that His purposes for us are good and that He can bring good out of any situation and circumstance. In fact, you know, in, in those kind of times, God is, enables us to begin to even trust his word more and, and, to, and to rely on him more. You know, what about passages like Romans 8, 28, where it says, God works all things together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. You know, there may be times where in your life that particular verse has been a verse that you've clung to and then God has enabled you to trust in his word more in the midst of your difficult circumstances because he has shown you that even in the midst of that hardship, he is indeed at work and he is indeed working good for you in that. He helps you to begin to trust him more. And in his grace, God works by his spirit within us 
to bring us to a place of, of humble submission, but also peaceful rest, trusting in him that his ways are indeed good, that he is good, and that he will indeed display his power and glory through you. You know, I think of people like Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you might know her. At 17 years of age, she dove, she dove into a lake and became a, 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 a quadriplegic. Uh, from that moment on, 17 years of age, her whole life before her. Now, she could have just basically just, you know, decided that's it, my life's over. But for many of you who know Johnny Erickson Tata, God has used this lady in lots of situations in, across many years and many avenues in order to be able to bless the lives of others and to be able to help people see that even in the, with the most uh, restrictive of physical uh, disabilities, still to be used by God in powerful and amazing ways. And folks, God can do that in each and every one of our lives too. I think of another guy, Nick Vujicic, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce his last name, was born without arms and legs. How do you, how do you live? And yet, Nick has thrived in his relationship with God and he's been used by God as a means of being able to, to take the good news of the gospel right across this world and to be able to, to shine the light of Jesus into people's life to see no matter how dire your situation may be, God can bring good out of it. They, God has enabled them, these people, and he enables us to trust his word more by his spirit working within us. He's able to bring us to that place of humble submission, recognizing that, Lord, you are indeed good, you are God, and your ways are perfect, and I will trust you. Now, another way God's healing is seen in the fact that, you know, he often enables us to avoid hardship and suffering in our lives by obeying him and heeding his word. We see that in verse 26 where he says to the people, if you do this, I will, I will not bring upon you the diseases that I, will put on, that I put on the Egyptians. Now, God's word is described in Scripture as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The word reveals that which is helpful to us rather than that which, and shows us what, what is harmful to us so that we may avoid it in our lives. God's word guides us and gives us wisdom to help us make decisions that allow us to stay clear of things which will cause suffering and hardship and difficulty in our lives. So in that way, God is healer to us as well. By obeying God and listening to his voice, God promised his people that they would avoid these things. And we too can avoid hardships and unnecessary hardships and difficulties in our lives by trusting him in his word and by obeying his word and living by his word. The problem is, though, is that for the, for the Israelites, we know, as we read the rest of the Old Testament, the Israelites didn't do this, did they? They constantly grumbled against God. They disobeyed him. They disobeyed his word. They followed after other gods. And they ended up experiencing all kinds of heartache, hardship, and affliction caused by their own sin. Not only that, they also experienced great tragedy and devastation brought about by God's judgment upon them for rejecting him in his ways. So the people's main problems stem not from external forces as such, 
but from the problem of sin within them. And folks, here is where we get to the to man's greatest need, this whole issue of the problem of sin within us. We need to be set free from our sin, from its, from its power and dominion over us, and we need to be set free from its consequences. It's in, in this passage here in Exodus 15, it points to the ultimate healing that God brings in this regard. We see that Moses was told by God to cast a tree there into the water to make the bitter waters sweet. Of course, we see this as a foreshadowing of the cross, the tree that Jesus himself would die upon in order to overcome the enslaving power and dreadful, dreadful consequences of our sin and the eternal separation from God that it brings. Psalm 103 speaks about this when the writer David says this. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And he goes on to talk about those benefits where he says, Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, in other words, from death who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He made known his way to Moses and to his people through Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, but abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. See, the healing that David speaks of here is very much tied up with God's love and mercy in forgiving sin and giving and gifting his people eternal life. Prophet Isaiah, as Grant referred to earlier in our service, speaks of one who would bring healing to his people through his sacrificial death. Isaiah 53 and verse 5 but he that is Christ was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. The Apostle Peter picks this up in his uh, second letter where he quotes this directly where he says, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. In other words, Jesus himself suffered and the suffering was the path to glory and that is the path for his followers today as it always has been. That the path to glory is often through suffering. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter very much speaks about this whole aspect of by Christ's wounds we are healed, speaking very much of the salvation that Jesus has secured for us. 
therefore, when we, when we speak about the, the healing that God brings, yes, God indeed may bring about physical healing in this world. He may indeed bring about healing in our circumstances. But our ultimate healing from God will be experienced in all its fullness when we finally get to glory with Him. And in that way, God does answer our prayers. When we pray to Him, Lord, heal us, God will indeed answer that very prayer if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, because one day you will be healed. Amen? Amen. Jesus, when He carried out His public ministry here on earth, healed all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. These miracles were meant to point people to a, to a couple of things. Firstly, that Jesus himself is indeed God. It was, a, it was a, 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 a declaration that he was indeed the Son of God. There was no one else who could do the kind of things that Jesus did. But these were also meant to be signs to point people to what life would be like in his coming kingdom. One which he, he would open up the way for people to enter by his death and resurrection. Folks, the kingdom of God is entered into by repentance and faith. But Jesus, in, in his preaching ministry, centered on the call for people to repent and believe the good news, and that message has not changed. Yes, today we live in a world full of bitterness, and we long for it to be made sweet. We long to, be, to know healing. We long to know and experience wholeness in our lives. But if there's one thing that suffering should indeed teach us, it is this. It, was, it is to lean into God and to long for heaven. Suffering should teach us to lean into God and to trust Him implicitly with our lives but also to long for home, to long for heaven where we will indeed know that fullness of healing. It is only in Christ that we can come to know that very sweetness in our lives, that ultimate healing in our lives, that glorious hope that one day we will no, we will all experience where, where everything will indeed be made sweet when we are with Christ forever in his eternal kingdom where there is no more pain or suffering or death. Revelation 21 speaks about that in the opening verses where it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall, there be no, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know, when faced with the circumstances that bring us suffering and bitterness in our lives, we need to pray and ask God to heal us, believing that He will 
you may not do it immediately. And then trust that he and his ways are good. God will answer our prayers sooner or later. We know that one day for those who belong to him, we will be completely healed because Jesus' resurrection guarantees that. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead in a new spiritual body, we too will be raised with new spiritual bodies. I'm going to speak about that in a few weeks' time after Christmas. That is the glorious hope we have as the people of God. And that needs to be the hope that sustains us each and every day in the bitterness of life that we experience now. God is indeed Jehovah Rophi, our healer. So let's continue to trust in him and praise him and rejoice in his love and goodness towards us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus, we acknowledge afresh this morning your great love for us in coming and dying for us by first of all entering entering into our humanity, but then dying the death that we deserve that we might have life in your name. Thank you for the hope that is ours in you knowing that you have indeed made the bittersweet. We praise you for this. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.